Hello and welcome to Beyond What You See, a podcast where I talk about my favorite books from a Muslim perspective. My name is Samaya and Happy New Year! I know it's nearly the end of January, but it's been that long since I recorded an episode. But that's okay, because my new goal for 2020 is to try to record a podcast episode a month. That way I can hold my count- myself accountable and it's not overwhelming. Um, yeah, that's the goal. How are you guys doing? I've had a turbulent January. I really hope this is not the forecast for the rest of the year. <laughs> it's been tough. Um, but I think, you know, there are lows and then there are always highs. And, you know, stuff has been tough, but I think I'll be okay. Right now it's a beautifully, beautifully sunny day. There's a lot of cloud in the sky. It is so cold, <laughs> but I don't even care because the sun is shining and I don't even remember the last time I saw the sun. Winters in Canada are so hard and gloomy and dreary and awful. But anyways, <laughs> please chime in. Let me know how your um, 2020 is going. Uh, if you are as severely affected by the weather as I am, what you do to cheer yourself up and how you guys are doing with the read along and with the podcast. Any advice is welcome. Uh, I would love to know comments. I know some people are listening. I just don't hear from you guys, so I don't know what you guys think. <laughs> so I would really appreciate um, just a quick note about even just how you're doing. Come talk to me. I'm a friend. All right. So this is episode six. Um, I can't believe we've done six episodes already. Uh, I remember coming up with the idea of this podcast only like a little while ago and we're already on episode six. Wow. Go me for sticking with it. Um, and go you for listening to my voice. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're still with the Fellowship of the Ring. We are on chapter five, A Conspiracy Unmasked. And the summary is, up to this point, Frodo had told his companions that he had been moving to Crick Hollow to live. As they reached his destination, Frodo realized that his companions had known all along that he had to dispose of the ring, and they were committed to helping him. Merry and Pippin had already decided to accompany Frodo to Rivendell. They agreed that it was better to go through the old forest than the road. Fatty Bulger was to stay behind to keep a normal appearance, so that others would think that Frodo was living at Crick Hollow. They retired for the night, and Frodo dreamt that he was struggling to climb a tall tower near the seaside. Alright, thank you Tolkien Gateway for your great summaries. And now, I really liked this chapter. Um, it's just a great example of friendship. I mean, the whole book is, the whole series is a great example of friendship, but this chapter especially is just so sweet. They have no idea what they're getting into. Um, they know it's dangerous, but they're here for Frodo and they're here to help him. And they're willing to walk into danger with him. And that's that's beautiful. Friendship is, um, true friendship like that is, is rare and it's a gift. And we should value it whenever we come across it. Oh man. Yeah. So this chapter begins with... Well, the last chapter ended with them meeting Mary on the road. Um, after uh, eating dinner with Farmer Maggot. And they thought he was a black rider because of the fog. And then they found out that it was just Mary. And so they continue on their lane. Um... They're walking along the Brandywine until they pass Buck Hill. Um, I actually really like the beginning of this chapter because it's very grounding. It really grounds you in the area. 
and it's kind of um, a reprieve from the terror of the road <laughs> before, where Frodo realized that he was out outside of his home. Um, and then the ominousness, I guess, of the Black Riders just keeps growing and growing. And then we have this little reprieve where we're, oh, we're, we're still in the Shire, technically. This is um, Buckland. <laughs> and Tolkien give us a little bit of history about Gorhindad Old Buck, um, who changed his name to Brandybuck after settling, uh, building and excavating Brandy Hall. And basically, that's the origins of Buckland, which is a thickly inhabited strip between the river and the old forest, a sort of colony from the Shire. Its chief village was Buckleberry, <clears throat> clustering in the banks and slopes behind Brandy Hall. Um, it's so funny that they're not very far from the Shire, and yet, uh, I guess it's just old, like old and small villages where everyone who's not them is the foreigner, because it says, um, most of the folk of the old Shire regarded the Bucklanders as peculiar, half foreigners, as it were. <laughs> They're not even that far away. That's like calling, like, I'm in Toronto, so that's calling, like, somebody from Mississauga a foreigner. <laughs> it's like, that's, yeah, that's so silly. But um, that's just how old villages are. Like, I mean, small villages are, especially, like, in the UK, I, I would imagine. In this is what it's it's based on, um, English, English villages. Um, so, yeah. So they, they all sort of sigh in relief to be in Buckland in a vaguely familiar territory um and there's this section that i just um underlined it says da 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 so they talk about the brandywine uh river and brandywine bridge um and a land that's protected and uh, the way that the land is protected by a a, a hedge called the high hay um, it had been planted many generations ago and was now thick and tall, for it was constantly tended. It ran all the way from Brandywine Bridge in a big loop, curving away from the river to Haysend, where the withy window flowed out from the forest into the Brandywine, well over 20 miles from end to end. So it's this basically this hedge-like barrier that they've built to protect um, parts of Buckland. And then it says, but of course, it was not a complete protection. The forest drew close to the hedge in many places. The Bucklanders kept their sh uh, their doors locked after dark, and that also was not usual in the Shire. So they basically live with danger on their doorstep, the Bucklanders, because of the old forest that grows so near them. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a reminder that, like, they haven't quite escaped from danger, and they're not, they're still not home. Um... And even though, even if they were home, home isn't safe anymore. The wild, the wide world has come into it. Um, as they cross the river, uh, Sam has a strange feeling as the slow gurgling stream slipped by. His old life lay behind in the mists. Dark adventure lay in front. Um, I just really liked how that was phrased. And whenever I'm doing something new, like for example, um, when I got a new job and moved overseas, that's exactly how I felt that like I was leaving home behind and I was going into an adventure not necessarily dark but a, a slightly frightening one that I've never done on my own before um and it was exciting but it was strange yeah yeah it's just it was just so relatable so let's see da, 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 da. so they're sailing the river 
they see just behind them the shape of a dark shadow. Um, they're grateful that they missed it on the road. Um, and then they travel, uh, once across on the ferry, they travel by road from the Brandywine to Frodo's new house at Crick Hollow. And they passed Buck Hill and Brandy Hall on their left, and on the outskirts of Bucklebury struck the main road of Buckland that ran south from the bridge. Half a mile northward along this, they came to a lane opening on their right. This they followed for a couple of miles as it climbed up and down into the country. At last they came to a narrow gate in a thick hedge. Nothing could be seen of the house in the dark. It stood back from the lane in the middle of a wide circle of lawn, surrounded by a belt of low trees inside the outer hedge. As a reader, I really appreciate this um, this kind of grounding of directions and topography, I guess, and geography. Um, as you read, it really just makes it feel really real. But as a writer, I'm just like, how? How did he do this? I, I need to start mapping where everything is in my books so that I actually know if I'm making them go in circles because say north and then south and then rest and then east and then... <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just really amazing. I love how he just really just, like, grounds you in the realness of this world. It's amazing. Anyway, so they go to the house. Um, it's, it's actually a house. It's not a, um, it's not built into a hill, but they've made it very hobbit-like. It was long and low with no upper story, and it had a roof of turf, round windows, and a large round door. Um, Frodo knocked on the door, and Fatty Bulger opened it, one of their friends. A friendly light streamed out. I underline that because up until then, all the descriptions have been like lights in the dark or mist and darkness and shadow and fog and fear. And then you do have a friendly light and sometimes light can be friendly. It's a strange thought, but when you need it and when you're missing it and you feel alone in the dark and then a light turns on, it, it's so welcoming. It's such a relief. So they set Frodo up at home. They've made it really as much like Bag End as they could possibly make it, and it's really nice for him, and he's very happy. Um, then they decide all to have a bath, <laughs> and they sing a little song, or Pippin sings a little song, which is really cute. He's so cute, honestly, I can't get over it. <clears throat> then they have a nice dinner, they eat the mushrooms. Um, Mary says, tell me about your trip, basically, um, Frodo, Pippin, and Sam's trip from the Shire to Buckland. Um, and Frodo kind of doesn't start, so Pippin starts the story um, and explains about the Black Riders and who they are um, and how they met with uh, Farmer Maggot. Um, and Pippin says, Cousin Frodo has been very close, but the time has come for him to open out. So far, we have been given nothing more to go on than Farmer Maggot's guess that it has something to do with old Bilbo's treasure. That was only a guess, said Frodo hastily. Hastily, Maggot does not know anything. <clears throat> Old Maggot is a shrewd fellow, said Mary. A lot goes on behind his round face that does not come out in his talk. <clears throat> I've heard that he used to go into the old forest at one time, and he has a reputation of knowing a good many strange things. Which is a really nice or like interesting insight into Farmer Maggot that he was an adventurer in his old um, hobbit-like way. And he's shrewd, and then I can see why he might be, well, this is revealed later, but he's friends with uh, Gandalf and with, um, with, oh, what's his name? 
I can't believe I forgot his name. <laughs> Anyways, we're going to meet him in the old forest. I guess I won't spoil it for you guys if you haven't read it yet. Um, so Mary asked Frodo to tell us whether, uh, to tell them whether Maggot's guess was good or bad. And Frodo's very hesitant. He's like, well, I think that it was a good guess. You know, there is a connection. There's something else. There's this. I'm afraid. There's This is no joke at all. This is not safe. I'm not safe here or anywhere else. Everyone um, exchanged meaningful glances that Frodo does not even notice. And <laughs> Pippin whispers to Mary, it's coming out in a minute. Which is really funny because uh, they clearly know it's about to happen. And poor Frodo is sitting here agonizing about telling them that he has to go on an adventure, he's not safe here, and they already know. <laughs> so he starts with saying, like, I've got something to tell you, but I don't know how to begin. Mary says, well, I think I could help you. And they just lay it all out. They're such good friends. Um, and gosh, yeah. So Frodo's a little bit shocked. He's like, is all the Shire discussing my departure then? And Mary says, oh, no, don't worry about that. The secret won't keep for long, of course, but at present it is, I think, only known to us conspirators. After all, you must remember that we know you well and are often with you. We can usually guess what you are thinking. I knew Bilbo, too. To tell you the truth, I have been watching you rather closely ever since he left. I thought you would go after him sooner or later. Indeed, I expected you to go sooner, and lately we have been very anxious. We have been terrified that you might give us the slip and go off suddenly, all on your own like he did. Ever since the spring, we have kept our eyes open and done a good deal of planning on our own account. You are not going to escape us so easily. And that is just real friendship where they understand Frodo, they understand that he probably wants to go after Bilbo, they understand that, and they listen to his little mutterings of, shall I ever look down into that valley again, I wonder, and they, they take it seriously, and they don't dismiss it, and not only that, but they help him in their own capacity, they keep an eye on him, they go with him, they help him move, they keep him cheerful, um, Fatty Bulger doesn't go all the way with them, but he decides to help in his own way and he knows his limits he can't he's not the type of person to travel um into danger and he's but he will help at home in any way he can by pretending to be Frodo and that's god that's really nice I hope one day to be that kind of friend and I hope one day to have that kind of friendship and I hope we all get that that'd be amazing so um Frodo says, well, since you have guessed so much, please help me and do not hinder me. And Pippin rightfully says, you don't understand. You must go, and therefore, we must too. Mary and I are coming with you. Sam is an excellent fellow, and would jump down a dragon's throat to save you if he, not, if he did not trip over his own feet. But you will, need more than one, you will need more than one companion in your dangerous adventure. This is, God, my heart. Okay. My dear and most beloved hobbits, said Frodo, deeply moved, as we should all be. But I could not allow it. I decided that long ago, too. You speak of danger, but you do not understand. This is no treasure hunt, no there-and-back-again journey. I am flying from deadly peril into deadly peril. And I did a little arrow under that, and I said, you know, sometimes you do. Sometimes you have to leave danger and go into more danger, and that's the best route. Sometimes there's no escaping it. Sometimes you just have to face it and deal with it as best as you can. But to stay would be bad. But also you're not so foolhardy as to go into the danger, uh, go into more of a dangerous situation and not understand and accept that it's dangerous. Yeah, that was the tangent. Anyways, okay. 
Um, of course we understand, says Mary Fair, uh, said Mary firmly, firmly. That is why we have decided to come. We know the ring is no laughing matter. We are, going, we are going to do our best to help you against the enemy. The ring, said Frodo, now completely amazed. Yes, the ring, said Mary. My dear old hobbit, you don't allow for the inquisitiveness of friends. I underline that because it's true. Friends are inquisitive. Friends do want to know what's going on in your life. And everyone has a right to their secrets. And... You see, they didn't pressure him until now to tell them what's going on. And they're not pressuring him for their own sake. They're pressuring him so that he realizes that he's not alone and he has help from friends and his friends are going to be there to help him and his friends are there for him. And his secrets are his secrets, but his secrets are also safe with them. They're not going to tell it to anybody. They're not going to put him in danger if they if they can uh, avoid that at all. And it's normal for friends to be inquisitive about what's going on in your life and it's normal for them to be to want to be part of your life um that's just that's just friends that's just how it is and Frodo is a pretty private person but he didn't shut his friends out entirely or his friends didn't allow him to shut them out entirely because they understood that they could help him and he didn't need to go through it alone and they understood that he was going through something hard anyways yeah that's, <laughs> this is so relevant to my life. <laughs> Anyways, it's, it's great. Okay. Um, so Mary explains how he knows about the ring and how he saw Bilbo use it once. Um, and da, da, da. so, so yeah, I, I thought it was interesting because they have all these plans about keeping it secret. Bilbo always tried to keep the ring secret. You know, at first he lied about how he even got the ring and then he told the truth to some people and then Gandalf had all these plans about keeping the ring secret and Frodo had all these plans about keeping the ring secret and you know what best laid plan best laid plans sometimes I mean there's no there's no <laughs> defense against accidents really because Mary saw Bilbo use the ring completely by accident when he was trying to escape the Sackville Bagginses and he just disappeared from the road so as not to be seen um, and didn't even realize Mary was behind him and it's so funny that all these merry little accidents that happen in life and in the Lord of the Rings series are kind of the thing that keep things from going wrong or terribly wrong and are always, there's always some good in them, no matter what, right? And it just goes to show you that, like, there aren't really any accidents. You plan and then God plans. And what you might see as accidents is just... God making things happen in the way he knows best and and it, it always is for the best even if it doesn't seem so at first right so it I'm sure Bilbo would have been dismayed to find out that Mary knew about the ring but Mary knowing about the ring helped um helped keep Frodo from having to deal with this all on his own and then in a larger scale brought Mary and Pippin into the fellowship and then they affected the whole narrative and the quest in their own way and it was just this tiny little accident because Frodo would never have told Mary and none of the others would might have known if Mary hadn't seen that accident with Bilbo and that's just an incredible thought and we can see the rippling effects of this one accident because we've seen the whole story and we've read the whole book um, or series but we can't see the rippling effects of accidents so-called accidents in our lives but they're definitely there they're definitely there and you know hindsight sometimes we 
notice them and sometimes we don't. Um, and we just got to trust. Yeah, trust that it's it's always for the best. So, <laughs> so Frodo is surprised and pleased and very moved. Um, and then Mary says that, well, while he and the others were aware of uh, Frodo's intent to leave, their um, chief investigator was Sam. <laughs> so he says, uh, if you want to be introduced to our chief investigator, I can produce him. Where is he? said Frodo, looking around as if he expected a masked and sinister figure to come out of a cupboard. Step forward, Sam, said Mary, as Sam stood up with a face scarlet up to the ears. Here's our collector of information, and he collected a lot, I can tell you, before he was finally caught. After which, I may say, he seemed to regard himself as on parole, and dried up. So, this is another thing about friendship that I really want to point out. They, I mean, they did spy on Frodo, but it was to for good intentions. And um, it wasn't so much spying as keeping an eye on him and making sure that he's not alone and that they can help him and go with him. Um, so they were being good friends. But also, when Sam was caught by Gandalf, um, listening in about the whole business with the ring, it seems that he stopped talking to the others about what he heard. And that's because he promised Gandalf he wouldn't say anything. He promised Frodo he wouldn't say anything. And he respected and honored his promise. And Frodo, when faced with um, a firm or a straightforward request to not say anything. Um, and that's what friendship is. It's this careful balance between um, inquisitiveness and respect. So... And it was all, all with good intentions. And that's, that's great. <laughs> so, um, Frodo, of course, is feeling some ways anyone might be. And he says, um, it does not seem that I can trust anyone. And Sam looked at him unhappily. And this is my favorite part of this chapter. He says, it all depends on what you want. Uh, oh, Mary said this, but he says, it all depends on what you want. You can trust us to stick uh, stick to you through thick and thin to the bitter end. And you can trust us to keep any secret of yours closer than you keep it yourself. But you cannot trust us to let you face trouble alone and go off without our word. We are your friends, Frodo. That's, you know, what more do I need to say? <laughs> it said right there. And then also, we are horribly afraid, but we are coming with you. We're following you like hounds right? <laughs> Amazing. Um, and after all, sir, added Sam, you did ought to take the elves' advice. Gildor said you should take them as was willing, and you can't deny it. And there you go. That's another part of friendship, is if they're willing, bring them along. If you're willing and you trust them in the way that Mary called trust, bring them along. Don't keep them out. Don't shut them out. There's no harm. Um, and it's better for everyone in the end. And that's true friendship. Um, so Frodo laughs. He says, you are a set of deceitful scoundrels, but bless you. I give in. I will take Gildor's advice. If the danger were not so dark, I should dance for joy. Even so, I cannot help feeling happy. Happier than I have felt for a long time. I have dreaded this evening. And basically, they're all happy. They've settled. And Pippin begins to sing a song. Um, Mary and Pippin begin to sing a song, which they had apparently gotten ready for the occasion. Um, and I just wanted to point out this like cyclical nature because this is how Bilbo's adventure started with a song and they actually model the song off of the dwarf song. Um, 
let's see if I can sing it. <laughs> it might be a terrible, terrible uh, sound. I wonder if I can get like the background vocals for this or something. Hmm. Let's see. Excuse me while I go on Spotify to find out. Misty Mountains. There we are. Farewell, we call to earth and hall. Though wind may blow and rain may fall, we must away in break of day. Fall over wood and mountain tall to live in. You stuck through with my singing thank you very much if you didn't i am so sorry your ears must be bleeding <laughs> anyways okay so they plan um to actually do get up before the break of day um they're afraid of the riders catching them or coming close um da, 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 da. Frodo says, would it be safe maybe to wait one more day for Gandalf because Gandalf still hasn't joined them? Mary says, that all depends on what you think the riders would do if they found you here. Um, he talks about the defenses in Buckland um, and how that the guards at the gate would probably try to keep the black riders out. Um, and at any rate, until they got a message through to the master of the hall, for they would not like the look of those riders, which um, would be because of their hulking black figures of capes and no faces to be seen and all of that but also because they have an unnerving feel about them um and so they decide to keep going tomorrow um not wait for gandalf and hope that gandalf will just catch up with them um he also decides to go in an unexpected direction which would be through the old forest um and fred or fatty bulger is horrified he says you can't be thinking of doing that it is quite as dangerous as black riders not quite said mary it sounds very desperate but i believe frodo is right it is the only way of getting off without being followed at once with luck we might get a considerable start um fatty 
is like, well, that's a horrible idea. There's no luck in the old forest. No one ever has luck in there. You'll get lost. People don't go in there. And Mary says, oh, yes, they do. The brandy bucks go in occasionally when the fit takes, fit takes them. We have a private entrance. <laughs> that just really goes to show that brandy bucks are very adventurous uh, for hobbits. Um, and then he says he's been in several times, usually in daylight, of course, when the trees are sleepy and fairly quiet. And that just sounds very fairy tale and frightening. And it, it is. It is frightening, fairy tale, and a little bit un unnerving and magical, but in the um, fairies will kidnap you sense of magical rather than the whole, uh, you know, tooth fairy sense. Um, <laughs> but I think that actually makes sense because the whole chapter about the um, old forest is very fairy tale esque um, and very like old school British English fairy tale esque. Um, and I know a lot of people don't really like it that much, but as a, if you look at Lord of the Rings as a kind of, um, miss setting up, <laughs> as a kind of way of setting up, um, a missos for, uh, Britain and England, then it makes sense to have, like, fairy, like, perhaps, like, an origin of fairy tales that are common in England, um, as well as, like, a grander myth that is a little bit, like, Arthurian. Um, but I digress. Um, let's see. So Frodo was going, uh, obviously. Mary, Pippin, and Sam were going. Um, Fatty was not fond as he was of Frodo. Fatty Bolger had no desire to leave the shower, Shire, nor to see what lay outside it. Um, he decided to stay at Crick Hollow, and he would pretend uh, for as long as possible that uh, Mr. Baggins was still living there. He had even brought along some old clothes of Frodo's to help him in playing the part. They little... They, uh, they, Ooh, I can't speak. Sorry, guys. They little thoughts of how dangerous that part might prove. Which, um, even without that foreshadowing, it would be dangerous if you're pretending to be someone who's being hunted down by sinister black riders. Yeah, that's a, that's a brave choice. So people might, I don't know, look down at Fatty and be like, oh, he's not a really good friend. But no, he's a good friend. He did what he can for his friend. He knows his own limits. And he decided to help in his way, which is great and acceptable. Um, and also proved to be an extremely brave and dangerous thing to do anyways. Um, so they decide about what they're going to do in the morrow, then they go to bed. Um, and Frodo couldn't sleep for a long time, his legs ached, he was glad that he was riding in the morning. Eventually he fell into a vague dream in which he seemed to be looking out of a high window over a dark sea of tangled trees. Down below among the roots, there was... The sound of creatures crawling and snuffling. He felt sure they would smell him out sooner or later. I always wonder about Frodo's dreams, because they seem vaguely prophetic. Um, and my first thought when I read this was actually of the movies, where you see Gandalf, because um, at this point Gandalf is captive of Saruman in his tower of Orthanc, and he's at the top of the tower, and below the orcs are kind of ripping up the trees of Orthanc. Um, and that just seems to, this dream seems to sort of represent that. Um, it's almost like he's seeing Gandalf's fate. And I wonder if that is, hmm, I wonder if that's the ring's power, um, giving him sight to see things that he might not otherwise. Hmm. 
because I think Galadriel says something about that way later in the story about how he could see things if he tried, if he willed it through the power of the ring, but it would break his mind. Um, and here he's not aiming to see things, he's just seeing things anyways. That's kind of terrifying, but really interesting. Hmm, okay. Um, back to the dreams. Then he heard a noise in the distance. At first he thought it was a great wind coming over the leaves of the forest. Then he knew it was not leaves, but the sound of the sea far off, a sound he had never heard in waking life, though it had often troubled his dreams. Um, so this part, this this part where he hears the sound of the sea, though he had never heard, uh, heard it in waking life, and he had dreamed about it a lot. I don't know if that means that he had dreamed about it a lot since he'd gotten the ring, since, since it's been like nine years since he had the ring, or if he dreamed about it a lot before he ever got the ring. So on the one hand, this again might just be the ring's influence, but on the other hand, I kind of thought it might be Ulmo, I believe. Um, Ulmo's influence, because if you read The Silmarillion, um, a lot of heroes have dreams, um, especially by the sea, or have visions through um, this kind of Vala, who is uh, lord of the sea and waters and dweller of the deep. Um, some might call him a demigod, but I prefer to consider him an archangel um, whose domain is the seas. Um, and often the, the waters he manages uh, carry visions to heroes. Hmm. And he's noticed to be one of the friendliest to the races of Middle-earth, um, specifically to mankind. Um, yeah, so I always wondered. Um, specifically to elves of mankind, he was the friendliest. So I wondered if that was that, or if Frodo was um, seeing a future vision of where he ends up, which is at the sea. But that's, that's way at the end of our story. Um, yeah. Back to the dream. Um, suddenly he found he was out in the open. There were no trees after all. He was on a dark heath, and there was a strange salt smell in the air. Looking up, he saw before him a tall white tower standing alone on a high ridge. A great desire came over him to climb the tower and see the sea. He started to struggle up the ridge towards the tower, but suddenly a light came in the sky, and there was a noise of thunder. Um, if you've read the Silmarillion, I believe there's a, there's, um, one of the last islands, um, facing sort of, like, heaven, <laughs> I guess you would say, where the elves came from, and where the Vala, or Archangels, came from as well, uh, or are. Um, there's a island, and on that island there's a tower, and I believe from that tower, you can see, you can look towards um, the land of the Vala. I'm just going to Google it really quickly. Uh, da, 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 the island of Tol Arisea. It's in the city nearest to Valinor, which is um, sort of like heaven or the undying lands. Um, the city was described as white, shining with great harbor with lamplit keys. It had a tower where the master stone aboded. Um, but maybe not, because it says it was removed from the world after a calamity. I'm not sure. But I do remember there was, like, a tower that 
you can stand upon. I don't know if it's been destroyed. But I think that's what Frodo was dreaming of. Um, and the reason there was a light in the sky and there was a noise of thunder is because I think it was forbidden to climb it um, if you didn't have permission. But I'm not sure. That's for you guys to look up and come back and correct me on. And uh, that is also the end of chapter five. Uh, really interesting chapter. Um, a chapter on friendship, a chapter on strange dreams, a chapter on lights in dark places, <laughs> which is a major theme of Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah, it was really interesting. As ever, thank you for listening. Comments, your thoughts or questions or concerns or advice below. Let me know how you guys are doing, how you're enjoying Lord of the Rings. Tell me your Lord of the Rings story, um, whatever was impactful to you. And I will see you next month. Thank you for listening again. I hope you have a wonderful time. This has been Samaya Beyond What You See.